chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, and we are going to begin reading in verse 13. First Corinthians chapter 14, and we'll begin reading in verse 13. Praise the name of the Lord. When you got it, say so. It says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Lord, we thank you for your word that is true, for your word that is for our edification, that is for our benefit, your word that is to instruct us and direct us in the operation of the gifts that you have given us to build for your kingdom and for your glory. And Father, in these next few moments, as we are in your word, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church what you inspired the Apostle Paul to write, Lord God. Let those words be translated clearly this morning. May our hearts understand and grasp these truths. Lord God, may you remove distractions from our minds. May you remove distractions from our hearts. May you align us with your truth, Lord God, both those who are in this place, those who are online, and also those who will hear this message later on. Father, glorify yourself and use this time for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you need an outline, you can raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon and that you are also able to take some notes and hopefully you will take this with you. Think about it. Uh, we've been um, digging into the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been in a series for a few weeks now. We started in the beginning of the book and we're continuing on and we'll finish it out uh, a little bit after, after 
after Easter, but uh, right now we're looking at the gifts in chapter 14. We started here last week, and we began looking at how we are supposed to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. In particular, we're talking about the gift of tongues, interpretation, and prophecy is what the Apostle Paul is focusing on here. And so today, I want to talk about a message entitled, Marks of Maturity, Marks of Maturity. I, as I read the text, verse 20, just look at it with me real quick, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And so I think the heart of what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the church of Corinth is don't be immature when it comes to the place or the issue of dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. As we saw in chapter 12, he communicates there that he didn't want us to be ignorant. So not only does he not want us to be ignorant of the gifts, he also doesn't want us to be immature in the way that we operate in the gifts. So he wants us to know what these gifts are. He also wants us to know how we as the people of God are supposed to operate in these gifts. And so in your outline there in the introduction, as we've been learning, the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit are, to, are for the benefit of the whole, not just the edification of one or a select few who have been gifted in certain ways. And so each of us has different gifts, right? We all have been gifted in, in different ways, and so we want to be sure sure that when we gather that there is edification of all, not just edification of some, certain people who have a certain gift and other people who may not have that particular gift. And so as members of the body of Christ pursuing love, which is what we looked at in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14, our desires should be to be used by the Spirit in the way he intended, which will always, say always, produce the fruit he desires. The reason why 1 Corinthians 14 becomes so imperative to this argument that the Apostle Paul is making for the church is because God has an intended purpose for his church. In the building up of his church, in the maturing of his church, in the development of the faith of his people, if 1 Corinthians 14 is not there, we would just think, hey, there's gifts, and we should love one another and just do whatever we want to do, right? That's how we think about it. But the Apostle Paul gives us some guardrails that are not to inhibit us, but actually to help us to grow the way that God intends. And I don't know about you, but I know me, right? Like, I want what God intends, right? We, 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 you, I don't know if you, you've ever uh, looked at a blueprint for a home or, you know, you walk through a model home, right? And when you walk through this model home, obviously, first and foremost, if you don't know this yet, let me help you out. When you walk through the model, you probably can't afford every single thing that is in there. Hallelujah. Right? They, 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 they make it seem like, you know, that this thing is, is going to cost you this much, but then when you read the fine print and you look at everything they added to this home, you're like, man, this house is beautiful, but I can't afford that. That's not within my budget, right? They, they took a house that was $300,000 and showed you a house that was $600,000, and you're like, well, there's a $300,000 discrepancy here, right? I'm approved for this. Nonetheless, nonetheless, right, even for the $300,000 home that is basic, you want to be sure that the blueprints were followed. You, you want to make sure 
that the, the way that they laid that foundation is according to the standards that have been set by the, the inspectors and the people who know about building. They, they understand what the foundation needs to be in order for a house of that size to be able to withstand wind and all the other stuff that's going to come. You want to be sure that they use the right boards. You want to be sure that they use the right pipes for the water. You want to be sure they use the right wires and, and everything for the house because if not, right, stuff can happen. I mean, you, you and, and, and they tell you this after you purchase a home and it's brand new, right? Like you got to be careful because the, the home is going to settle. And sometimes that settling, it, it, it produces these cracks that you're like, whoa, this thing looks like it's falling apart. Well, imagine if it wasn't put together right. Imagine if someone just went up in there and said, hey, I'm going to just put this foundation. I'm going to use this kind of cement for the foundation. I'm going to use these kind of boards over here. We're, we're, we're not going to hurricane clip. I, 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 used to, I used to frame houses, and there's these things called hurricane clips. They are Satan incarnate. Hello. But they're very necessary, right? I, I, I kid with you, like when you are the, the person who is putting this hurricane clip on that is going to hold your roof on, hey, you want somebody who goes in there and puts all 16,000 nails where they're supposed to be to ensure your roof doesn't fly off. And what you want is an inspector who is going to actually come by and look and say, hey, man, you, you're missing some nails here. You know why? Because one weakness in that, in that roof structure can cause the whole thing to, to mess up and fly away. The point is that there is a blueprint. There are standards. There is a way that we are supposed to build something in order to ensure that it is fortified, that it is structured correctly, that it is able to accomplish what it was built for, right? In, in the case of a home, to protect. In the case of the church, it's to expand the kingdom, in the case of the church is to expand the kingdom. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And then he says something peculiar. He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Understand this. God is not building a building for us to come to. He's building a people to send out. He's, he's building a people who will go forth and who will take territory for the king. He's building a people that have to be strengthened, that have to be fortified, that have to be built according to his standards and his plans so that way we can execute his will upon this earth. We don't build the way we want to build. We look at the master plan. We look at the master blueprints. We look at what the master wants. And so when we're looking at 1 Corinthians 14, for those of you that have been through our Core Faith 101, you know that we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe that God has placed these gifts in the church for the edification of the church until the end, until Jesus blows the whistle or sounds the trumpet and he calls us home to be with him. He is building his church through these gifts, but there's a way. That he wants us to build. And so I want you to think about this this morning. God expects our maturity when it comes to how we engage with his gifts. God expects our maturity when it comes to how we engage with his gifts. We cannot be kids playing with toys. We have to be mature people who are utilizing the gifts the way that God has given them. Because they're not our gifts. They're his gifts to us for others. First thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say maturity, maturity. Isn't, marked isn't marked by abstinence, by abstinence. but application, application of the gifts. 
There's, as, as we spoke about last week, there are some people who would just say, just abstain from prophecy, abstain from tongues, abstain from those things. Just stay away from that because those things are, are dangerous. Those things were brought in by New Age belief and, and things like that. And I, and I would say that that's a bunch of hogwash. Hello. I would say that that's not true. Again, we're ignoring chapter 4. If we didn't have chapter 14, we could make up that rule, right? We could say, hey, we don't need these gifts. We don't need to operate. We don't need to think about them, right? We just, we just disregard them. They don't matter today, right? And so we don't believe that, right? It's not abstinence that we're, that, that we're looking at. It's that, that's not what Paul, I mean, look, think about this, and, and, and I'll probably repeat this again next week, but I want you to notice something, and, and please, as we go through the text together, I, I want you to look and see where, where you ever see the apostle Paul say, hey, these gifts are not for today. These gifts are no longer going to be needed in the future. Is there ever a time when he's rebuking the church of Corinth and telling them in their day, hey, you know what? You guys are doing this wrong. Just stop it completely. That's not what he says. Right? He, he, and again, as we go through this, you know, you read it, you, you study it, and you see if the, he never does that. He never disqualifies or, or says these are unnecessary. He never says, you know what, you guys are, don't know how to operate in these, so just forget it. That isn't what he does. But he takes his time as a good father and says, hey, I want to show you how to operate in these gifts. I want to show you how these gifts were meant to be utilized within the context of the church. And so here's the thing. Some people have the idea that speaking in a tongue, and this is for, you know, us, you know, charismatic folks, right, that think that speaking in a tongue is an evidence of spiritual maturity. But Paul taught that it is possible to exercise the gift in an unspiritual and immature way. So some of us, right, we might have been raised, we're, we're, we're not on that side. Remember, we talked about the two sides of the spectrum, right? We talked about the ones that just hit the brakes and they're like, no. And then we talked about the ones that are just like, hey, we just go all out. It's all in, whatever, right? And so we, we think, okay, well, this is a mark of, that's what the church of Corinth was apparently thinking. They were thinking that, hey, this is, if I'm speaking in tongues, this is it. In the upper room, they spoke in tongues. And so now this is the thing that we've got to do in order to demonstrate how spiritual we are. And yet the apostle Paul comes back and he says, no, 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 not so quick. That's not the way that we measure maturity. That's not the way that we show that there's a way to do this correctly. So for the mature follower of Jesus, when it comes to the gifts, the goal is what? It's edification of others and the glorification of God. That is the goal that we have set forth in the scriptures for us, that we should desire to see each other edified and that we should want to see God glorified. So look at verse 13 with me. He says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So he gives us instruction. So what are we supposed to do? He doesn't say, he doesn't say not to do this. He says, for him or her, right, who speaks in a tongue, let him pray that he may interpret. In other words, he should be asking God, God, if, I'm, if, if I am sensing the need in order to, to speak in tongues in a public setting, again, and I'll repeat this again later, but this is, not, this is not regulating you in the private setting, right, in your prayer closet with you and the Lord. When you and God are together, man, you just go in with him, and that's with you and him. Now, when you're in a public context, which is what Paul is addressing here right now, he is saying, for him who speaks in a tongue, for he or she who has been gifted in this way you should pray that you may interpret, that you would interpret. And then he goes on, verse 14, he says, For if I pray in a tongue, he starts to explain the, the actual operation of this, my spirit prays, my inner man prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. 
Now, for those of you that have prayed in, in tongues, right, you've spoken in tongues, you're, you, 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 you know something is happening that is supernatural, right? But the connection between the spirit and your mind, you know that that's not, you don't, you don't know what you're, unless, right, the Holy Spirit is giving you the interpretation in the moment. But nonetheless, Paul is saying, I pray, you pray with your spirit, but your, your, your understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I love this. I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. And so now he introduces a whole nother, a, a whole nother component here. We're not just talking about praying in, in tongues or praying in the Spirit. He, he's also saying we can sing in the Spirit, right? So, so, so God can move in a way where there is this, the, the, this melody that comes through us. But Paul says, I will do these things together. You got to catch him. He doesn't say, I'm going to do one or the other. He says, and again, remember, we're talking about public congregational context. When we come together, he says, I will do these together. I, I, I'm going to sing, pray with the Spirit, but I'm going to pray with my understanding. I, I, I'm going to sing with the Spirit, but I'm going to sing with my understanding. I want to be sure that these two are married because this isn't just about me and God. This is about me and the congregation of people and God over us. Are you here? So when we gather, these are the instructions. This is the blueprint the apostle Paul says that he would like to follow. Verse 16, what does he say? Why? Why is this? Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen? Just want you to know, saying amen in church is a biblical thing. It means I agree. It means so be it. It's funny because when I was looking up the, the, this, as I was studying this, there, were, there, were, there, were, there, uh, there was a commentary on the word amen and how, how, how universal the word amen is. In almost every language, amen is amen. You, you can check that out later on. That's just a side note there. But if you are speaking in tongues... And then you stop, and there is no interpretation, how can we say amen? We can't. Not biblically, we can't. We can't say, we, we, can't, we can't agree with you. We can't just be amen, right? No, 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 there, there's no amen yet. Because we have not been edified. We are not in alignment yet with what is being said. Now, we would trust that the Spirit of God would be moving, right? And that, you know, somebody who is speaking in tongues under his inspiration, he is saying something so you would think we could say amen. But Paul, not me, Paul, the apostle, he says you can't say amen. You can't be in agreement with that in the public context. You can't, again, these are, these are scripture words, not mine. The uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. And so again, in the congregational context, our desire is what? Glorification of God, edification of our brothers and sisters. We are edified through the intelligible communications of God. 
We are edified through the intelligible communications one to the other, right? And so if we were here and we were in, in, in our time of, of singing and worship and we're singing these songs that were intelligible, that should have been building faith, that should have been reminding us of the wonder, of the power, of the glory and the majesty of God. I mean, that's what all of the songs, all of the words that we were singing were doing. They were reinforcing the truth that we could say amen to that, right? Because we were being built, we were being edified. When Sean exhorted us about revelation, we could say amen to that because we were being built, we were being edified, right? As, as Kathy was exhorting us, we could say amen to that because we were being built, we were being edified. Pastor Aldo gets up, he's, he's exhorting us, we can say amen, right? We're being built. But if I stand up here and I come up and talk about a Honda and a Kia and all that stuff that Pastor Rod was talking about... And I just get up here and I and I start and, and I start I, I I start going off in, in a language you don't know. How's that helpful? If I spoke French and I got up here and I was like Polly Francais, right? I, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what I just said, but nonetheless, I, I hope I didn't just curse, but <laughs> no, I know that, but I'm I don't know what a Polly Francais means. I know that's some kind of French something, but anyway. Uh, what is that? Does it mean what? What? Do you speak French? There we go, right? So, see, you see, you see how foolish I, I, I sound, right? Like, that, I love this. This is like a Holy Spirit moment, right? This is what tongues looks like to the uninformed. Like, what are you saying? That wasn't what I was saying. Yes, it was what you were saying. No, it wasn't. Do you see the picture? Thank you, Jesus. That's what tongues in the congregation is when you don't understand what's being said. It's craziness. And the Apostle Paul is writing us saying, hey, writing to the church in Corinth saying, I don't want you to do that. There should be an interpretation. And so in the congregational context, we should not be erupting in tongues unless we have an interpretation, which is what we should be praying for. You, you sense that you should be praying for the interpretation. We should, seek, we should seek to pray and sing in the spirit accompanied by understanding to ensure what? Why is this? Because we want to be sure that not just me, but that we can be built and we can say amen. Verse 18 to verse 19. He says, I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Hear, hear the apostle Paul, what he just said here. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now, now one of, my, one of my, my mentors, one of my friends, my brother Felix Arroyo, he watches us. He lives in Texas. God bless you and your family. Um, and, and, he, and, and, you know, he, he's, he's, he encourages me, but he also challenges me. So he asked me, he asked me some questions. He's like, you think that the Apostle Paul was being hyperbolic when he said, I wish you all spoke with tongues, right? Earlier in the chapter when we went through that, and when he says, I, I think there could have been some hyperbole there maybe, but, 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 but really I, I think he knows the benefit of speaking with tongues, of the personal edification. That's what it seems like he's communicating here. I wish you all had this gift and, and you could all experience this, this thing that, that I experience in the presence of God. And yet, look what he goes on to say. He, he says, I, I, you know, I thank God, verse 18, that I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church... I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. 
So it seems, it seems by the Apostle Paul's, this is, by the way, for, for my charismatic friends here, whenever you get into a conversation with a non-charismatic, I want to give you a tool right here. It's right here in these verses. Because, you know, I've had, I've had conversations with my non-charismatic friends, and they're like, well, I don't see anywhere where, you know, there would be any, 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 any scripture that would support the idea of a private use of tongues. There it is right there. Look at the apostle. Let's read the words again. Look at what he's saying. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Where does he do this? Obviously, he's not doing it in a, in a congregation. Because he is saying don't do this. He is instructing us not to do this. He is making it crystal clear that he does this. He does speak in tongues more than all of us. All of them, not us, right? He's not boasting on this. He's simply saying, he's he's letting them know, hey, I'm charismatic just like you. Hallelujah. He's saying, I, I feel the urge just like you. And and and, and so again, he he's he's expressing. This, this thing, I speak in tongues, I thank, he's giving God thanks, he's not boasting. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Why? Why would he thank God for that? Because of what he talks about earlier, because of the edification that takes place. Because Paul knows what it is the, to have a mandate to come and preach the gospel, to come and share the faith, to come and teach God's word. He knows the mandate that is there in order that, that you need the power of the spirit of God. And so he knows what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord, being edified, and then come out and share God's word and see lives changed. He understands that. I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all, yet in the church, in the, in the congregation, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, it, it seems here verses 18 and 19 indicate the private use of tongues should be enjoyed. But the public expression of tongues without the accompaniment of interpretation, we're going to get into that next week, should be restrained. As I said to you last week, sometimes just being honest with you, I feel like sometimes I'm not spiritual enough, so the Holy Spirit has to take over me and say, shut up, let me talk. Seriously. I also believe that there's things that, man, we wouldn't even, we wouldn't even, I mean, the scripture says, right, that, that he can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. And so that means that our thinking sometimes can't even arise to the level of what God really wants to do. And we get so caught up in our lives and what is happening here in this world and what's going on around us, what is going on in our, in our family context, what is going on in our neighborhood context, what is going on right here, that we, we, we don't pray in the things of the kingdom the way that God would want to do that. And so you know what I think? I think that there are times that God is using us to pray. He is praying through us. Again, I've got to think about how we're going to operate in that in the public context. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, maturity is marked by our understanding of the purpose of the gifts. Maturity is marked by our understanding of the purpose of the gifts. Now, we're going to get into, uh, we're going to get into some technical stuff here, okay? Because I, we, we're, we're going to look at some Old Testament prophecies, so there will be a long quote that is going to be up here on the screen for you to follow along with. But I want us to look at what the Apostle Paul says, verse 20 to verse 22. He says, brethren... Do not be children in understanding. Again, I don't want you to be ignorant, and I don't want you to be immature in your understanding of these gifts. 
He, said, he, he, said, he goes on to say to them, however, in malice be babes, in sin, right? Be, listen, don't, don't, don't be given to sin, like live righteously and holy, but in understanding be mature. Now, he's going to drop a, a, a huge bomb right here, and he's going to quote an Old Testament passage uh, in, in regard to tongues. He says, in the law, it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to, to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but to those who believe. In the law, it is written, verse 21, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. So here's, so here's the thing. The apostle Paul he quotes Isaiah 28. So this, this, is where, this is where he's quoting from. Isaiah 28, I think 11 and 12. And this verse is talking about God's judgment towards Israel for their rebellion fulfilling the, fulfilled during the Assyrian invasion. So the Assyrians had a language that the Jewish people did not speak. And because of the rebellion of Israel... God said, because of your rebellion, because of your unwillingness to hear from me and turn to me and submit to me, my judgment is going to be that I'm going to bring the Assyrians upon you, and they are a people who speak a language that you don't speak. They speak in tongues in that context, right? French. <laughs> With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me. He go, and, and so, again, Israel wouldn't listen to the Hebrew prophets, so in judgment, they would be enslaved to a people who spoke strange tongues, and this would be a sign of judgment to them. An important note, again, I want to point this out. Even in slavery, they wouldn't repent and believe. Even when they were under the bondage of the Assyrians, they wouldn't repent and believe. Even seeing these prophecies being fulfilled, they wouldn't repent and believe. And so, again, we continue on. How, how, does, this, how does this whole tongues thing play out, right? Therefore, in Acts, God uses strange tongues, think about this, to draw people to himself. And then uses prophetic scriptures through an empowered and emboldened witness to convict, convince the heart of the Jews who had been scattered and been forced to learn different languages of, of their sin against God because of their sin against God and his offer of salvation by faith in Jesus as Messiah. You tracking with me? In the book of Acts. The, the, the scripture says the Holy Spirit comes down, tongues of fire sit upon everybody in the upper room, this mighty wind blows, and everybody in the upper room, there wasn't a person up there, according to what we see in the scriptures, that didn't start speaking in a language that they did not know natively. And as they're speaking in tongues, this is a, the time of Pentecost, the feast time. And so all of the Jewish people were gathered in Jerusalem, the ones that had been scattered because of their rebellion and been forced to learn other languages, strange tongues, not their native languages, right? Not, not, not Hebrew, no. They were, they were different languages. You read in Acts chapter 2, what is God doing? God speaks to them in these other languages, right? Again, this is judgment. Because you were rebellious. Because you were in disobedience to me, 
Because you were not submitting to me, because you were not obeying me, because you rejected my laws, because you bowed to idols, because you continued to live the way you wanted to live, you were scattered throughout the nations, have learned these other languages, and now I'm going to use these strange tongues to proclaim my praises, to proclaim who I am. And so we go on, next, next part of the quote there. As the church spread throughout the Gentile world, unbelieving Jews heard the message of the Messiah Jesus in foreign Gentile languages. People of strange languages proclaiming God's gospel in tongues throughout the world signified judgment against many Jews continuing unbelief. Paul concluded that tongues are assigned for unbelievers because God designed them to communicate the gospel and Christian teaching across linguistic boundaries. They are a sign in the prophetic sense of the word as a curse against those who do not believe. Look at verse 22. Therefore tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers. So Paul is saying, listen, you get up and you're speaking in tongues that are unintelligible, are you speaking judgment to people because, like, God doesn't want anything to do with them because they're rebellious? Is that what's happening here? That isn't, that, 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 that isn't the heart of God in the, in, in the giving of this gift. This gift is to, interpret, to be interpreted for the building up of the church, for the building up of the people of God. But prophecy, he goes on to say, but prophesying is not for unbelievers but for those who Believe, prophesying, again, we get back to that, that word that we talked about last week when we are prophesying, right? We all should desire to prophesy, to speak under the inspiration of God, to speak under divine inspiration. Again, this doesn't mean that we are going to uh, fore foretell or be telling the future all the time. Sometimes this is just simply us speaking under the inspiration of God, words, and it could be this. Listen, it could be this. I was, I'll give you an example of how, how this happened to me as one example. One time somebody was talking to me about a certain situation in their life, and they were looking at a specific job scenario, and, and as I was praying for this person, this was, I wasn't with them, and as I was praying for them, the Lord brought me to the scripture, and I can't remember the exact quote right now. I think it's in 1 Timothy. Some of you more, more knowledgeable folks might know this or might have this on your mind, but it's a scripture where Paul tells Timothy to tell the church to be careful for running after riches. Because when you run after riches, you fall into all kinds of trials, right? And so as I was in prayer, the Holy Spirit brought this scripture up like strongly to share with this person. And under the inspiration of the Spirit, now listen, all of God's word is theopneustos, right? It's divinely breathed in. God's word is already inspired. It doesn't need a gift, hear me now, in order to be inspired. God's word alone is inspired. Can I get an Amen. It's a good, good, good place for amen, so be it, hallelujah, right? <laughs> However, there is a difference between a Lagos word, right, the written word that is there, and a rhema word. In other words, a word that is specific to the moment, that is specific to the person. And so God may inspire you in that moment through his logos, through his word, his written word that has already been revealed, that has already been, that is the standard by which you'll see this next week, that we measure prophetic words, that we measure how we live and how we operate, right? 
But then God will take you in prayer, and it may happen in a private time when you're in prayer. It may be in a service. You sense to, to share that with a brother or a sister. Not that particular scripture, but, you know, a scripture that God puts on your heart for them. That could be a prophetic moment. There may be a moment, and we'll see this in a second here, as we look at when, when Paul transitions to the unbeliever who comes in to the congregation. It can also be that there is a revelation of the hearts. When, when someone is speaking under the inspiration of God, in a prophetic sense, Jesus is at the well with the woman at the well. When he asks her about her husband, right, and then, and then she's like, well, I have no husband. He's like, yeah, you have had five. Come on now. And what does she say to him? Surely you're a prophet. Because in the prophetic sense, God may be showing you someone's heart, showing you. See, a person who is under the inspiration, you're not doing something just because of a response. Now, I may come, and I, I say this like this, because I know the scriptures. If somebody says something, you know the scriptures. If somebody says something to you, certain scriptures may come to mind, and you want to share them. I'm not going to say that that's not prophetic, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is someone being in the, in the place where God is inspiring them to speak. We're at a leader's retreat. At a leader's retreat, when we go to our leader's retreat annually, we, we have a time where we worship and we pray and we seek the Lord. And then we just sit before God and just shut up. And I'm like, listen, if the Lord speaks to you, just speak out what the Lord speaks to you. And I, and I remember I remember Pastor Aldo, he shared, I think he said, fear not, was, was the word that just kept coming up in his spirit, right? And so somebody else who was in the, in the retreat was like, hey, so was that prophetic? I mean, because that's in the scriptures. I'm like, yes, man, that's prophetic. I'm like, because we didn't know what we were about to, of course it's in the scriptures, but God's spirit is saying, speak these words for the moment, for the time, right? We're sitting there, Sister Joanna, another point, point in time, she's like, I've chosen you. And then she elaborates, she's like, I've chosen you, right, like as a people for a specific time, specific purpose. Again, God, those are words that are in the Bible, hello. And yet, God may inspire. I hope, that's, I hope that helps, right, like to, to understand like how, how God wants to inspire. You don't have to get some like off, you may get something that you've never heard, not in the scripture that God speaks to you. It's not going to be out of alignment with the scriptures, right? But, but, but listen, we, 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 have, we have the scriptures that show us that we should, we should desire, right, this, this, prophetic, this prophetic thing, right? Because that is, is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Again, as we look at this, in our, if our goal, right, is to build each other up, our desires should be to minister prophetically one to another. That should be our desire. If we have tongues, we should pray for interpretation because Paul, and we'll see this next week, he will equate those two as though they're on par with each other. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself here. We should see tongues for what they are, a sign for judgment. If there's no interpretation, then what do we, listen, hear me now. Tongues without interpretation, according to Paul, is a sign of judgment. That's what Paul is saying, not me. Again, we're looking at the context that Paul quotes and we can't, we can't take it out. Of, we can't just yank it out of its context. It's a sign, and it, 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 but it's a sign toward unrepentant people. And so we want to be sure that we are communicating the way that God desires. Prophecy is the gift that God uses, or the interpretation of tongues is, is, is the gift, again, that is being spoken of here, that God uses to build his people. That brings me to my third point. Third point is this. Say this. Maturity, maturity. is marked by the fruit of our use of the gifts. Maturity is marked by the fruit of the use of our gifts. 
What is the fruit that we should be looking for when we gather together to worship? Now, I mean, this this portion of the text just, man, I I pray this all the time. I I read this and I'm like, my God, I I, I don't want anything else but this. I want to see this happen. Look at verse 23, not the first part, the last part. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say, you are out of your mind? Think about that. We just did the French thing. That looked crazy. Translated well. That's what they would think. They walk into a church, everybody's speaking in tongues. Are these people nuts? One, one, one writer thinks they might be saying, are these people possessed? In that context in Corinth, it would be easy to say that because remember, they had the temple worshipers in that, in, in that time that they spoke with tongues. They gave prophetic utterances under the inspiration, but it wasn't under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And so they would come in and they would think, man, these people are out of their minds, right? So Paul transitions the conversation not just to us who are gathered, but to those who would walk in, to the people that you would invite, to the people who you would bring. Now, again, I, I want to I qualify this because we're going to see this next week, and I, I, I don't want you to just, you know, just shut it out. But the fact is if there's tongues with interpretation, that's right for the context, even when the unbeliever is in the room. But without that, for everybody just to go and say, for me to get up here and say, I want everybody to start speaking in the, start praying in the spirit right now. That's not biblical, friends. At, at least not Pauline biblical. Like I'm just going to instruct you to do something that Paul never says to ever do. Matter of fact, he speaks against it again. He, he is saying here, they will think you're out of your minds, but this is what I pray for. But if all prophesy and, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all. Thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among them. What do you think the heart of God is when it comes to those who come into a congregation of believers together? And they're not believers. What do you think his heart is towards them? He wants them to encounter him. You know how I know that? Because his love for his creation is much greater than mine for his creation. And anytime an unbeliever walks in the doors, you know what my prayer is? Lord, let them encounter you. And I know that I don't love them any more than God. I don't care about them any more than God does. And so what what Paul is saying is, is when we operate in order, when we do this the way that God intends, this is the fruit of what should be happening. So he transitions again to unbelievers or uninformed persons. And we see here that even Paul, he had some concern for the effect of the church's gathered practices would have upon the unbeliever who would potentially come in and join a gathering. So apparently, you know, there were unbelievers who were coming in to the services that they were holding out of curiosity or whatever it was. And when they came in there, Paul was like, is there going to be confusion or conversion? 
is, 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 is the person. Go back. Go back really quickly to verse 11. Verse 11, and we talked about this last week, and I, I don't I really have time to dig into it. I don't really have time to dig into it right now. He says, therefore, in verse 11, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. And so again, using the example with Pastor Aldo, if somebody comes and says something to me, and when they say something to me, and I don't understand what they're saying, then I, I'm a foreigner to them. We can't communicate. And again, it's not about them knowing who I am. It's about knowing who he is. And so we should desire as well to see them come to the faith in Jesus Christ. See, as I, as, I was, as I was looking at this, and I'm, I'm getting ready to wrap up here, but as, as I was looking at this and thinking about this, this message this morning and, and my time of worship, one, one of the songs that I was listening to, it was, it's called Running. And as, as the singer in the song begins to exhort, he starts talking about the prodigal son and, and the father and what happened in that moment. And I want you to just turn me really quickly because I, I, it's Luke chapter 15. I, I want us to read that, that entire chapter as I, as I close up here. But, but I want you to see something that is so important because the Apostle Paul gives us some instructions. He gives us some instructions. He says, listen, he says, if you are all prophesying, if you are all doing, and again, when we say all, we're going to see this next week. It can't be everybody at the same time because he limits it to three, right? So we'll talk about that. But when we're all, when we are, when we are doing Church, the way that God says to do it, the unbeliever will come in. His heart will be convicted. His heart, he will be convicted by all, convinced by all. The secrets of his heart, the sin that is there, as we're proclaiming the word of God, as we are declaring the truth of God, the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and he will fall before God in worship. It shows me a God who, who cares about the condition of the lost. Because you know what? Like me, the Apostle Paul doesn't love creation any more than God the Father does. And I, and I want you to look, reread this with me. Uh, Luke, you should be there, I hope, um, chapter 15. He says, And all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him. Look at this. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Isn't, isn't, isn't that such an ugly picture? They, they, they didn't want the unholy folk to be around Jesus. They thought that Jesus should be like them. They're unclean. Those people are sinners. Those people can't be near God. They got to clean themselves up before they come. That's not the gospel, though. So what does Jesus do? He does what he always does. He goes to a parable. And look at what he says. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? 
This morning we had a situation like that over a bracelet, praise the Lord. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me. For I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want to point something out to you in verse 10 that that I think is so imperative for us to grasp. It is not the angels who are rejoicing here. It is rejoicing that is happening in the presence of the angels. You know who is rejoicing? The Father is rejoicing. God is rejoicing. He is, I'm not saying the angels don't have joy. What I am saying is the leader of the joyful celebration is God the Father. It is him who is saying, come home, son. Come home, daughter. I love you. I redeem you. I love this. And we, we, we get to the last parable that Jesus uses. And he says, then he, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to his, his livelihood. And not many days after, the, son gathered, the, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent, when he had spent all, there, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Something absolutely disgusting for Jewish people to do is to be around, around pigs in the first place, and then to eat the pig's food. I mean, my goodness, you can't get any more disgusting than that. For a Jewish person, right? We, some of us like pig, not necessarily the pig's food. Hallelujah. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants, your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son, for this my son was dead and is now alive again. He who was lost is found and they began to be merry. Now, I don't want to get into the whole older brother situation. I want to point out three th- I want to point out one thing in all three of these parables that they have together. The sheep didn't come back to the shepherd. The coin didn't come back to the one who lost it. The son didn't run to the father. The initiator in all of this was the owner. The one who ran, was the son wasn't running back to the father. The son was ashamed of his sin. The son was ashamed of his rebellion. The son was ashamed of him turning away from his father and saying, I don't want, I don't want to wait till you die. You're dead to me. The son was ashamed. 
He wasn't running. See, the, see the, song, the song, the person in the song said the son was running. And I looked it up, and no, the son wasn't running. The father ran. And see, that's the picture of the gospel. The father runs to us. The reason why the father ran to the son is because that son was worthy to be stoned on his way in because of what he had done to the father. And so what the father was doing is he was running to cover his son to ensure nobody got to his son before he did. How does this tie in with the gifts? Prodigals and gifts. Because church, we're about extending the kingdom. And if we operate in the gifts in an immature way, we will get in the way of what God wants to do in order to bring people to faith. What we want to do is we want to ensure that nothing that we do gets in the way of prodigals from coming home. We want to be sure that the only thing that is offensive in our gatherings is the gospel. The only thing that offends people is their sin. The only thing that hinders people from coming to know God is the fact that they want to live how they live and they don't want to turn to the one who made provision for them. So my closing question is this. What is your maturity level in regard to the gifts and their use? Are you a person that says, man, we're just going to do it how we want to do it? You got to repent. You got to repent. You can't do it your way. We've got to do it, my, we, we got to do it not my way. We've got to do it God's way. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're a person that says, hey, you know what? <laughs> not, 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 I'm, 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 I don't think those gifts are for today. You got to repent too. Because you're hindering the Spirit of God from moving the way that he wants to move. We've got to find that balance. We've got to come to that place of maturity. Will you stand with me, please, and bow your heads? And I ask you to bow your heads for a moment. As I, as I read that story this morning, as I went through these parables this morning, man, tears were in my eyes just remembering how lost I was. And how God came to rescue me. And you know what? You might be online. You might be in this place. And man, you, you realize, man, I am lost. And I need to come to the Father. Today's the day for you to do that. Don't stay in your sin. Don't stay in your rebellion. Don't stay in your disobedience. God loves you. He proves that by the cross. He proves that by what Jesus did. Don't let anyone, don't let a person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, don't let your past hinder you from coming to the Father today. Know this, he's already running to you. He's already moving towards you by his spirit. And so I invite you, if you're in here and you say, God, I want to come back today. I want to serve you. I want to live my life for you today. I want you to just come forward. Let us pray with you. Let us pray with you today. Don't sit there. Don't, don't hold back. Come forward if you feel like he's calling you. Hallelujah. If you're online, make sure that you, that you let us know that you want us to pray for you because we want to pray for you. Let's pray together really quickly. Father God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, you see the hearts of every person in here and those that are online. Lord, I pray that nothing would hinder them from, from, from coming to you today, Lord God. That they wouldn't wait for tomorrow, that they wouldn't wait for another day, that they wouldn't wait for a time to be private, but that they would humble themselves, Lord God. That they would turn to you, that they would allow you to have your way in their hearts today, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would break strongholds, Lord. I pray that you would let them know how loved they are that they would know how loved they are, God. That they would know that their sin is not too great for you to forgive.
Oh, their sin is great, Lord God. Let them see that. But let them know your love is greater. Let them know your mercy is greater. Let them know that your grace is greater than their sin, God. May they experience your cover today. I pray this in Jesus' strong name. Hallelujah.